Good morning, comrades. <laughs> I'm doing this recording just to give everyone something to be able to share since I spoke at the meeting we had a few weeks ago online. I thought I would redo the recording just for convenience sake. A quick background. I am indeed a 47-year-old straight white male in third-year counseling psychology honors program in South Africa. I have also owned restaurants for the last 20 years. My personal journey involves experiences with mental health in my family and my own therapy in times of need. Eventually in 2018, I realized I had to do something about all the issues I see around me. But as a business owner, you're limited to pleasing clients. So I enrolled to study psychology full-time. If anyone has read my paper with the PsychReg journal, which was published in December, 2020, they might already know that I grew up very poor in South Africa. I experienced xenophobia as an Italian. The ruling Afrikaners here in South Africa during apartheid didn't like us at all. I learned the hard way how unforgiving a developing nation can be. There is no economic safety net here. Poverty means starvation. I'm also a child of the 90s in that I experienced the metrosexual wave and embrace democratic change and freedom for all under Mandela's new South Africa. I believe people should be judged by, the, by their character, not their skin color. And I have generally liberal political beliefs, although sometimes I am repulsed by the super rich. In a past life, I think maybe I was one of those that yelled workers unite a lot. Conspicuous wealth in a country like South Africa with deep poverty jars my sense of justice. I think this background is important because people make assumptions when they hear opinions that they don't like. So here we go. I can now state my position with much more confidence as I've been studying these issues intensely for two years now. I can say that things are far worse than I thought. So the question here is, is critical theory and other progressive ideologies good for developing nations? My answer is absolutely not. My cohort and I have made such observations in class, which are usually met with fake patience and a condescending remark, which embarrasses the student enough to shut down further questions. I've seen very immature behavior from educators at this college. Even blatant bullying by so-called adult psychologists educators. Fortunately, we have one or two vocal students, myself included, who sometimes persist with their questions after class and with each other. I have found that the younger ones, uh, 19 to 20 year olds, have an instinct that what they're learning and what they're hearing isn't best practice in counseling psychology, but they don't realize where this ideology material comes from. For me, I'm disappointed and I'm a little horrified to discover that Marx, Marcuse, Foucault, and Paulo Freire, and other radical theorists used as evidence in our textbooks with no context or alternative theories offered in balance. In relation to South Africa, I want to set the stage for you because I, before I labor my concerns, because you may not realize where they lay in the greater scheme of developing nations problems. Let me use an example, major neglected tropical diseases. This will illustrate what I think is going on here. Diseases like rabies, Bellasia, leprosy, and even snake bites are known killers of up to 200,000 people annually in the developing world. Why are they neglected? 
there is no political will to stop them. Basically, no one cares about the powerless. The international community has other objectives, and the local leadership is fixated on remaining in power and maintaining power. Instead, in the middle of hard lockdown, during a global pandemic, we hear from our president that we must face the issue of, and I quote, men waging war against women in South Africa. This is pure distraction. To say gender-based violence is not an issue would be misleading. It is an issue with some known and preventable causes, like the lack of jobs caused by the misguided socialist policies here in South Africa. The disenfranchisement of men in society, the progressive ideals of the so-called new South Africa. In my paper, I quoted a lady called Mampela Rampele. Look her up, she's an incredible South African. Who warned of this in 1994. She saw the creep of feminist ideology seeping into the political discourse, threatening to undo the goals of true anti-apartheid activism, which sought to achieve a free, fair and equal South Africa for all. So like neglected tropical diseases, poverty is neglected. Human capital is deliberately neglected, which is ironic considering Paulo Freire strove to empower the poor through education. When I mentioned the irony of learning about post-socialist revolutions in a country run by a communist liberation organization, the ANC, rather than a genuine political party, I get a blank stare. Perhaps because they don't see the irony, many of these educators are much younger than me. As consistently stated by the South African Institute of Race Relations, the goals of the ANC are to achieve socialist ideals under any circumstances. Radical economic transformation, which is actually redistribution of wealth by political affiliation. This is now a cover story for corruption and looting of our nation's natural wealth. If you haven't heard how corrupt South Africa is, you should Google the ongoing inquiry into state capture here in South Africa. To bring us back to why critical theory is bad for developing nations, South Africa should be the canary in the coal mine. We naively embraced trained Marxists. I believe they're more like Leninists, but that's semantics at this stage. The point is we are living under the rule of utopian socialists, and all they can deliver is more poverty, more disease, more corruption. It's amazing how many South African leaders are suddenly fans of products of capitalism. Things like Rolex watches, Range Rovers, and Maseratis. While the dystopian reality is played out in front of our eyes, we have loyal Marxists, postmodernists, radical feminists, whatever version of utopian fantasists you can think of, preaching outdated, inappropriate ideology in our universities and schools in 2020 and 2021. We are now selling new versions of already failed ideologies to children who are growing up in a world where they risk drowning in pit toilets, dying of malaria. Mostly boys don't develop normally due to Bellasia, vilified for being male facing jobless futures, beholden to the government for the pittance social grant paid out to prop up the kleptocracy. Note we are currently borrowing money from the IMF to pay social grants, which ensures this party's re-election despite all the exposure of corruption. Most grant recipients are women, while men remain unemployed. What could go wrong? At this stage, you should not be surprised to learn about the decolonizers. 
As I mentioned in my paper, they reject traditional Western liberalism as a fraud meant to placate black people. Even democracy is seen as a Western trick. They have seen the confusing ideology and they reject it. Why wouldn't they? Progressive intersectionality would eradicate the, their identity once and for all. The West comes here with one hand saying sorry for the past while delivering culture-destroying ideologies to their children through these radical theories. No doubt traditional culture has many problems. I don't condone the glorification of tribal beliefs and practices, but are we not repeating the destructive practice of the original colonizers who sought to divide and conquer? Isn't intersectionality meant to divide us further, to create deeper binaries of victim versus oppressor? It is, after all, the stated goal of critical theory to deconstruct culture, usually Western normative systems, which supposedly support inequality. This implies traditional tribal systems are peaceful and equal. This is grotesquely naive. It's contradictory that other modules in our curriculum teach us to build social capital. In turn, this will help create political change. Unless, of course, the change would see the socialists thrown out. The decolonizers called it neo-colonialism, and I'm afraid I agree. It disgusts me to see the children of apartheid survivors having to navigate newly invented categories of victim status. They approach it with the bravery their parents must have had. They know life is full of challenges, but here is an educator telling them the world hasn't changed, and now we have to face sexism, patriarchy, gender confusion, runaway capitalism, as well as all the old racism and bigotry because Mandela achieved nothing after all. It may be difficult for Westerners to understand how dangerous it is for a child in Africa to go home after being affirmed in his gender confusion by a student counselor at school. Currently, there's already, already the policy of the national education to affirm gender confusion. A young boy in a rural area will be beaten and possibly killed for uttering this at home. It's already common. The fathers often grew up as cattle herders. Now they have to hear how their son wants hormone blockers, but he can't even afford to pay for his child's clothing. Is dividing children from their parents a good idea in a nation with 3.7 million orphans already? Don't let the fact that SA, or South Africa, was one of the first nations to allow same-sex marriage lure you into a vision of a peaceful, open, accepting society. This is utter nonsense. And I'm disgusted by the cognitive dissonance of privileged people who still profess South Africa to be some kind of rainbow nation. It's more like the Badlands and the Mad Max movies. All we're missing is Mel Gibson. So my point is, bypassing an adult community to infuse its children with untested and dangerously irresponsible ideology is a form of colonization. The West has passively allowed this to spread in its tertiary education, and now it's spreading in developing nations. But here, it will meet the already traumatized population who are only just coping with massive cultural change within their lifetimes, who have learned about the oppression and dehumanization perpetrated by the West in the past. These communities need legit legitimate knowledge as envisioned by the Enlightenment, not more ideology. The educated elite are leading the decolonization drive, replacing economic poverty with spiritual poverty. Who can blame them? If the same group has traumatized your people repeatedly, wouldn't you want them completely and utterly discredited? Make no mistake, the decolonizers are not a motley crew. They are deeply intellectual. Their argument is hard for me to refute under the circumstances. 
even though I know they are ultimately misguided. They are misguided because not everything from the West is evil. Freedom is at the heart of all Western progress. I suggest this is what Africa still lacks in 2021. It is perhaps their disjointed and mutually suspicious communities that leave them vulnerable to this contagion of opportunistic political ideas coming from overseas. You can see them argue for an African nationalism. This is laughable to anyone who has lived in Africa. Their idol is Muammar Gaddafi. I don't mean to say that unified Africa can never happen, but Europe unified after a cataclysmic war. It was a forced conclusion no one could argue with. On the other hand, Africa is geographically and culturally very isolated even from each other. Xenophobia here results in stoning and burning. Whether it's the fault of resource looting by the wets, a common claim by decolonizers, or the inevitable greed of politicians who find themselves in positions of power over massive natural wealth, the result is power grabbing, nepotism, and entitlement not seen in Europe since the 1800s. I'm not the first person to make this observation. The current political elite, elite behave like the untouchable land barons and bourgeoisie of a bygone era. They have convinced the masses that truth, knowledge, and power are the same thing. That's a quote from Foucault, who I'm sure would be mesmerized. I would suggest that the point of dismantling apartheid was to allow the children of South, South Africa to grow up as proud Africans to be aware of their culture while learning the best ways to succeed in the modern world. It was not to supplant one ideology with another, to re-enslave the poor to a political cabal who pander to trends from the Western intelligentsia who control funding and loans. A very outspoken critic of Western loans and aid is Dambisa Moyo. She even suggested all aids should be stopped because you would see massive political change in Africa. Sadly, that would likely come with war and genocide, so it's not a realistic suggestion. Critical theory in psychology needs us to act as activists in therapy. If you can hear the sarcasm in my voice, I'm quoting one of my educators who also rejected my questions about why there are so few men in psychology and counseling especially. Okay, specifically straight white men. She admitted my question was offensive. It was only through some good old fashioned Italian charm and obedient rehashing of progressive ideals that I passed that module at all. She was satisfied when we all recited the mantra of the AFIRM approach to children in South Africa from the age of six in our essays. Many of the class remarked on the obvious disapproval of questions. This is currently promoted in the National Education Mission Statement. Of course, the minister who writes it is a trained Marxist who has reigned over a collapsing education system, leaving children unable to compete in the job market of a developing nation. Most South Africans have no idea who Marx is, what he proposed and why. They don't even know that our current leadership was educated in Cuba, Vietnam and Russia, funded by radical postmodernists in Europe. But once you've read any Marx, Marcuse, or for cult, you can see the themes in the rhetoric used by many developing nations leaders, especially the ANC in South Africa. South Africans pretend to be very liberal, but surveys have revealed the majority are quietly conservative. This is the ticking time bomb that I see. We will politely allow this material into our schools, naively believing it's accepted internationally. We will affirm our children and fund their misguided narcissism. 
while the rural poor stew in their betrayal. Their children starve, fail to develop, and drown in toilets while the elite are distracted by Netflix, the Kardashians, and the next iPhone. I ask you, what grotesque parody of freedom is this? What role is the privileged radical feminist educator or counsellor playing in this deeper divide between the haves and the haves-nots? Because now we have the in-the-nose and the nose-nots. I mean, the intellectual leaps required to understand, let alone accept critical theory, intersectionality, and gender ideology is beyond most people. Now, they are not only living in a harsh reality, but they are victims of newly invented demons too. If it's not obvious by now, I'm fiercely defensive of my countrymen and women. I see the hardships, the suffering, the insecurity, and crippling futility of life here. I deal with it because I only hire people in my business who have no skills. They are usually barely above starvation. They don't let the touch, don't let the touchscreen phone in their hands confuse you. They will starve before releasing that phone because now it's their lifeline to jobs, hope, and family far away waiting for, waiting for the financial support from the city dweller. These people need social capital, not intersectionality. Legitimate knowledge, not pointless challenges to Western science. Economic progress, not deconstruction of the family unit. Inspiration to bravery, not constant reminders of naturally occurring hierarchical structures. They need traditional liberal policies, not more of the same socialism the ANC is already using. They need genuine empathy in counseling, not subversive activism. I bring you back to the neglected tropical diseases. I propose that unconditional positive regard, person-centered therapy, and con cognitive behavioral therapy are becoming neglected in favor of progressive ideology and counseling. That the echoes of the victories in the 1990s have re-emerged in tertiary educators with outdated and useless ideas which will further alienate us from the poor. The activists are a restless but privileged group who may be driven by noble goals seeking the post-apartheid and Cold War euphoria, but are misled by long-dead socialists. They are immature adults seeking meaning in an otherwise peaceful modern era. I recognize the anarchism behind the activism. After all, no one would say the world is perfect. But their personal fulfillment should not come at the expense of unsuspecting clients. Those of you in the West need to stand up, speak up, and resist this infantilizing of developing nations. Remind the postmodernists that you already imposed ideals on them through colonization, that every culture must find its own path to enlightenment. All you should be doing is holding the lantern for them. I will end this with some optimism. I have also seen the bravery and resilience of Africa. We get on with it because we see nature doesn't care about our petty complaints. The youngsters I study with are a bright and sensitive bunch determined to help people. They are not receptive to this progressive ideology because they are sufficiently exposed to other ideas through social media. I've quietly led a small group towards questioning the conflicting material. They are eager to know both sides and they easily understand the contradictions, even questioning the educators. I see young black students who re reject reminders of apartheid as futile. They are open to discussions and are eager to learn new and better ideas about the world. I've quoted Steven Pinker and Thomas Sowell in class, hardly the most woke writers of today. So I want you to know that developing nations are not backward. We're simply underdeveloped. Our youth are full of hope and energy. We, the adults in the room, need to defend them.
Thank you for listening.